Welcome to a super special episode in which I don't talk. Uh, I get to sit back, relax, sip some water, look yeah, at that's Sage. Interesting. That's interesting. This is my ideal day. Yeah. I hope that it's your ideal day too. Uh, I mean, yeah, I like telling stories, so I guess that works. Yeah. And you're not telling any story. You're telling... I'm telling a, a spooky story. Exactly. You're telling a story that is going to make the bones chill, the panties crawl, well, and the that, heads will roll. If that doesn't already happen, <laughs> I mean, we're in a bad spot to begin with. So Yeah, but I'm really excited. Um, you know, I think that... I think that spring and summer is an interesting time for the spooks because mm -hmm. it's not a stereotypical spooky time. You know, you kind of, I associate fall with the spooks, but right. it's spooky all year round. No longer is that going to be the case. Exactly. So and I bombarded you today. I was like, you know, mine took a long time and there's a lot. So you don't uh -huh. get to do one today. And you were like, you know, fine. Again, ideally. So I, uh, I had a lot of a lot of studying to do recently, so the concept of not looking mm -hmm. at a computer, yeah, is really nice. Mm -hmm. It's really good. Uh, this is going to be the final episode of my Colorado mm. road trip. Wow! So, um, let's just get into it. Buckle up and let's dive right in. Good catch. <laughs> well, now we are, but oh. um. Oh great! Oops. So it caught you on the back end. It's fine. We. We're not recording, but now we are, so it's fine. <laughs> now we are. Thanks, Justin. <laughs> Moving forward. So today, because mm. I have to start with that every time. Always. I will be telling a story <laughs> that most people probably already know, but I'm not going to tell you yet. <laughs> <laughs> you tease. So I got my information from Out There, Colorado. Wow. Legends of America. Nightly Spirits road trippers and stanleyhotel.com <laughs> i wonder what you're talking about oh that's great mm, i'm gonna have to go with the golden gate bridge that's really sad actually oh okay great your turn okay so there's a 142 room building in estes park colorado united states about five miles from the entrance to Rocky Mountain National Park. That's really close. Mm -hmm. That's pretty good. Um, it was this building was built by Freeland Oscar Stanley of Stanley Steamer fame. Uh huh. Stanley Steamer, get your certified cleaner. <laughs> Gets right. your house cleaner. I did not, not a sponsor. No. Oh, that'd be great though. Gosh, could you imagine? Oh. Isn't it like one eight hundred steamer? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if I'm allowed to sing it, but ridiculous. Like, could you imagine being sponsored by a cleaning company? That's how you know that you're an adult is when you don't care about like food and drink sponsors. Yeah. You want like cleaning products. Yeah, like you don't have HelloFresh sponsorships. Yes. You have like Mr. Clean as a sponsor. Exactly. You're like, How did this happen? <laughs> yeah. I did not know that that Stanley was of the Stanley Steamer uh -huh. lineage. Sure is. Wow. Yeah. Um, so it was built by him. It opened on July 4th, 1909. How patriotic. As a resort for upper class Easterners and a health retreat for sufferers of pulmonary tuberculosis. 
Interesting. The hotel and its surrounding structures are listed on the National Register of Historic Places. And today it includes a restaurant, spa, and bed and breakfast with panoramic views of Lake Estes, the Rockies, and Long's Peak. Mm. I have pictures of each one. Oh, thank you. Dude. So Lake Estes, where they're paddle boarding, and you can see it in the background there. Um, The Rockies. Yeah, it's the big white thing, (laughs) not the mountain. That makes sense. The Rockies which, of oh. course, is the worst. And then Long's Peak. Wow. Mm-hmm. Quite that nice. Beautiful. So, of course, today I am going to be running through the history and hauntings of the Stanley Hotel. Do you want to tell why this is important no. to you now? Okay, we'll talk about that later. Yes. Cute. So, as many people may know, it's a hotel. Wow. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> Thanks for coming by, guys. Thanks for listening to our show. <laughs> We've been four minutes, and it's good. That's an ideal podcast length. Mm. <laughs> All right, so let's run through some history of this fabled hotel. Mm. In 1903, the Yankee steam-powered car inventor, Freeland Oscar Stanley, of course, mm-hmm. steam, mm-hmm. Uh, was stricken with a life-threatening resurgence of tuberculosis. Oi. The most highly recommended treatment of the day was fresh air, and it had to be dry, so no humidity. So fresh, dry air with a lot of sunlight and a hearty diet. Interesting. So just normal. Yeah. Like countryside living. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm surprised with the Colorado choice. I would, I personally, I would have gone like a little bit warmer. Maybe it's in Arizona, but... Maybe that's too dry, though. Maybe know? that is too dry. That's interesting. Okay. Maybe you don't get a hearty diet there. I yeah, don't know. It's just scorpions. Yeah. yeah. So, therefore, like many lungers of his day, Stanley resolved to take in the curative air of the Rocky Mountains. Wow. What a life. He and his wife, Flora, arrived in Denver, Colorado in March, and then in June, on the recommendation of Dr. Sherman Grant Bonney, moved to Estes Park, Colorado, for the rest of the summer. Over the season, Stanley's health improved drastically. Impressed by the beauty of the valley and very grateful for his recovery, he decided to return year after year. He actually lived to 91, unfortunately eventually dying of a heart attack in Newton, Massachusetts, one year after his wife in 1940. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Long That's, life, considering he was diagnosed with tuberculosis. Honestly. Yeah. Well, see, the hippie in me, that, that just makes me believe that, like, nature truly does have a restorative power. Um, or, you know, anything It probably else also on. helped to get out of his hometown of, like, Boston, <laughs> which is just all oh. cars and smoke. Yeah, that probably helped a bit. Yeah. 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 So... Going back to where we're at, by 1907, Stanley had recovered completely from his tuberculosis. However, not content with the rustic backwoods accommodations, Mm. lazy pastimes, and relaxed social scene of their new summer home, Stanley resolved to turn Estes Park into a resort town. In 1907, construction began on the Hotel Stanley, 
a 48-room grand hotel that catered to the class of moderately wealthy urbanites who composed the Stanley's social circle back east, as well as to consumptives, um, or those suffering from tuberculosis, seeking the healthful climate. That's so cool. Mm-hmm. I love it. That's a combination of yeah, like, ideal guests. Yeah, like it's not. There's no stigma with it. Yeah, like, exactly. He's like, this is a place for people with TB. Yeah, it, it's not something like, oh, well, I survived it, so therefore I'm better than everybody else. It's like, yeah. no, I survived it, and I want to help people now. Exactly. Yeah. By making airbnbs in estes park incredibly expensive Mm -hmm. so thanks for that yeah thanks a lot jerk (sighs) so the land was purchased in 1908 through the representatives of the fourth earl of dunraven Hmm. and mount earl the anglo-irish peer who had originally acquired it by stretching the provisions of the homestead act of 1862 between 1872 and 1884 lord dunraven claimed 15,000 acres of the Estes Valley in an unsuccessful attempt to create a private hunting reserve, making him one of the largest foreign holders of American lands. Very unpopular with the local ranchers and farmers, he left the area in 1884, relegating the ranch to the management of an overseer. Um, His reputation was such that when Stanley suggested the Dunraven as a name for his new hotel, 180 people signed a buckskin petition requesting that he name it for himself instead. Oh, my gosh. So they really super hated that guy. Wow. Okay. <laughs> like, please name it after yourself. Yeah. We don't want to talk about this guy. Wow. Yeah. Not fans. Huh. So the main hotel and concert hall were completed in 1909, and the manor was completed in 1910. To bring guests from the nearest train depot in the foothills of Lyons, Colorado, or the foothill town of Lyons, Colorado, Stanley's car company produced a fleet of specially designed steam-powered vehicles called mountain wagons that seated multiple passengers. Stanley operated the hotel almost as a pastime, remarking once that he spent more money than he made each summer. So he just loved it that much. Interesting. This sounds like a wicked guy. He's awesome. He sounds really cool. Yeah. Sorry, I'm sitting far back. I'm lazy. Fair enough. In 1926, Stanley sold his hotel to a private company incorporated for the sole purpose of running it. Mm. The venture failed, and in 1929, he purchased his property out of foreclosure, selling it again in 1930 to fellow automobile and hotel magnate Roe Emery of Denver. Until 1983, the resort was only open during the summer, shutting down for the winter every year. The presence of the hotel and Stanley's own involvement greatly contributed to the growth of Estes Park, incorporated in 1917, and the creation of the Rocky Mountain National Park, established in 1915. Wow. So basically, guy of the century. Honestly. Yeah. Wow. So... Now, I want to say, in 1911, Mm. we have a very unfortunate event. There's a gas explosion in the hotel. Oh, no. Upon opening, the hotel was alleged to be one of the few in the world powered entirely by electricity. Mm. However, lack of available power forced the installation of an auxiliary gas lighting system in June 1911. 
On June 25th, the day after the pipes had been filled, an explosion occurred that injured a maid and damaged the structure. Mm. A brief article telegraphed to the York Dispatch of York, Pennsylvania, and circulated by the Associated Press the following day said, The Stanley Hotel, built at a cost of $500,000, was partly wrecked last night by an explosion of gas. Eight persons were injured, one seriously. None of the guests were injured. Elizabeth Wilson of Lancaster, Pennsylvania, a hotel employee, was hurled from the second to the first floor, and both ankles were broken. Oh my God. The other seven, se- the other seven were waiters. Okay. Um, so that's just a little bit like that was one of the first reportings. Sure. Um, <clears throat> but then the most comprehensive and detailed article on the incident appeared on June 29th in the Fort Collins Express, and it also seems to be the most accurate mm. um, because it positively says that the maid had been hurled from the second to the first floor. Okay. Or, no, it positively refuted. Oh. So it, it was like, actually, no, she didn't get thrown from the second to the first floor. Okay. Um, so I'm just going to read this article a little bit. It's very interesting. Sure. Um, okay. That the explosion of gas in the Stanley Hotel in Estes Park Sunday night will not interfere with the reception and entertainment of guests was announced by the management Monday night. The dining room of the Stanley Manor will be used during the time the big building is undergoing repairs and the other accommodations will be adequate because of the fact that the damage was confined chiefly to the west end of the building. The management estimated the damage last night at probably $10,000. It was announced that the work of repairing the building will be taken up at once and pushed to completion as rapidly as possible. The explosion was caused by an accumulation of acetylene gas from a leaky pipe. This gas accumulated in the space between the ceiling of the dining room and the floor of the second story. A chambermaid who was in a room directly above the dining room was in the act of lighting the gas when the match she held in her hand ignited the escaping gas. Oh my god. The explosion which followed tore a huge hole in the floor, precipitating great quantities of plaster, timbers, and other debris into the dining room. The chambermaid, Lizzie Leitenberger, had both ankles broken, it is thought, from the concussion of the explosion, and was thrown into a hole in the floor. She was not, however, thrown through into the dining room, being caught by the timbers and held until rescued. Oh. She was taken to a hospital in Longmont. She had been in the employee of the hotel ever since it was built and came here from Philadelphia. Two waiters also sustained slight injuries, one suffering a dislocated hip and the other being struck across the face by a flying plank. Neither of these is in serious condition. Yeah. Um, Basically, everybody that was there besides them um, escaped injury. So, like, none of the guests got hurt. Um which is kind of amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm surprised that no one died yes. from a gas explosion. Especially the the woman who lit the match. Yeah. Wow. Considering it exploded right in front of her. She oh just broke gosh. her ankles. Yeah, it's not good, but it's better than death. Right. Wow. Um, so that is kind of the history of the hotel so far. Okay. Uh, 
now I'd like to talk a little bit about the architecture mm-hmm. of the hotel because I find this absolutely fascinating. Yeah. Um, there's a lot more that goes into it than I would have thought. Okay. The Stanley Hotel National Register Historic District contains 11 contributing structures, including the main hotel, the concert hall, a carriage house, manager's cottage, gatehouse, and the lodge, a smaller bed and breakfast originally called Stanley Manor. Hmm. The buildings were designed by Stanley himself with the professional assistance of Denver architect T. Robert Weiger, Henry Lord Cornwallis Rogers, yes, and contractor Frank Kirkhoff. Okay. The site was chosen for its vantage overlooking the Estes Valley and Long's Peak within the National Park. The main building, concert hall, and manor house are steel frame structures on foundations of random rubble granite with clapboard siding and asphalt shingle roof. Originally, Stanley chose a yellow ochre color for the building's exteriors with white accents and trim. Lumber used in the structures was harvested from the areas of Beerstad Lake and Hidden Valley in the future National Park and purchased from Kirkhoff's Lumber Yard in Denver and Bluff City Lumber Company of Pine Bluff, Arkansas. Mm. The granite was quarried from the Baldwin property near the confluence of Beaver Brook and the Big Thompson River. Non-local materials were brought to Lyons, Colorado by rail and then to Estes Park by mule-drawn wagon. So as I noted before, upon opening in 1909, the hotel was alleged to be one of the first in the country to be fully electrified from the lighting to the kitchens, although some fixtures could be operated with either electricity or gas. Okay. To supply his new hotel with power, Stanley led the construction of the Fall River Hydro Plant, which also brought electricity to the town of Estes Park for the very first time. Wow. Every guest room had a telephone, and each pair of rooms shared an ensuite bathroom with running water supplied by Black Canyon Creek, which had been dammed back in 1906. Hmm. Around 1935, during Roe Emery's tenure as owner, the ochre-colored siding was painted white, and most of the original electro-gas fixtures were replaced. Interesting. I was wondering when it turned white. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because you can see in the pictures yeah. it's full white. Yeah. Okay, okay. Um. Although the style of the hotel evokes the historical architecture of New England, the general form and layout are designed to accommodate contemporary notions of hygiene and comfort. Hmm. Given Stanley's interest in architectural design and healthful living, he may have been inspired by the Carolina Hotel in Pinehurst, North Carolina, designed by Bertrand E. Taylor, um, who was a national leader in hospital design, and, like Stanley, a resident of Newton, Massachusetts. Oh, cute. Um, the parallels between the Carolina and the Stanley extend beyond style, though. The builder of the Carolina, James Walker Tutts, was a Boston soda magnate who initially developed Pinehurst as a health resort for people with pulmonary diseases. What? Yeah. Um, so whether or not Stanley had exposure to Taylor's work and ideas... Um, it is certain that he was influenced by Dr. Sherman Grant Bonney of the University of Denver, who helped him originally, um, because he was a contemporary expert in the treatment of tuberculosis. Mm. Um, and it's kind of funny because even Stanley's Estes Park Summer House is illustrated in Bonney's book, Pulmonary Tuberculosis, which was pr- published while the hotel was under construction. 
Um, and Stanley himself has acknowledged in the preface for his interest and efficiency in connection with the photographic illustrations. Um, so they clearly had a very amicable relationship yeah. and they took a lot of inspiration from each other in their works. That's really cool. Yeah. Wow. It's just interesting to me that he comes through this not really being a medical professional, yeah. but he's using current and common medical amenities yeah. in his hotel as he's creating it. It's pretty fantastic. Yeah. It's like an original wellness retreat basically that unintentionally worked really well. Yeah. It's wow. awesome. Wow. Um, so, although the hotel never operated as a sanitarium per se, it was designed to be an optimal environment for pulmonary health. When the construction plans were announced, the Fort Collins Weekly Courier reported, Estes Park has been a favorite place for doctors to send the more robust of their patients who were in shape to be braced up by the keen air and the considerable altitude. But it, is, it has not always been possible to get suitable accommodations and surroundings for them. With the park turned into a vast pleasure ground and ample provisions for the best food products, all pr precious objections will be dissipated. According to the facility, accordingly, the facilities were cited and designed to meet the requirements expounded in Bonnie's book. For, for instance, according to Bonnie, um, I'm just going to read a quote from him here. Yeah. An ideal site for a sanitarium or, in fact, for all buildings designed especially for pulmonary invalids should be upon the southern slope of a hill or near the base of a moderately high mountain. In order to afford shelter from the prevailing winds, the building should be located according to regional weather conditions, either to the east or the west of a spur extending southward. It is still more advantageous if the mountain rises to a considerable distance in the far background, even to a height of several hundred feet. The soil should be dry, porous, and sandy, although a rocky formation is not undesirable. On account of the necessity of irrigation in dry climates, no elaborate attempt should be made to beautify the grounds by laying out expansive lawns or by disposing flower gardens in the immediate vicinity of the sanitarium, although such ornamentation adds greatly to the attractiveness of the institution. Undoubted benefit accrues to the invalid from a pleasing landscape. Attractive views, combining land and sky effect, contribute to a remarkable degree in breaking and unceasing monotony. Definite inspiration and elevation of spirits are not infrequently afforded by the sublimity of scenic grandeur witnessed in mountain resorts. A lot of words, but he's basically saying, this place is perfect. <laughs> Way to go. Okay, but here's the thing, though. I love how much attention to detail went into that because instead of them being like do 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 oh yeah. this place is really pretty let's build on it and they're like oh years later oops we built on a sinkhole or a swamp right you know like they they did some planning mm -hmm. and they said okay this is featherable featherable favorable weather conditions yeah. um feather oh my gosh favorable landscapes mm -hmm. um it's just it's very advanced yeah and i'm impressed it's kind of amazing yeah yeah um i mean it also provided ample porches ventilation southern exposure mm -hmm. and food recommended in his book as well sure um 
So the style of the hotel contrasts sharply with the rustic style used for other hotels in Estes Park before and after the Stanley's construction. However, it was not an uncommon choice for the hotel of the Stanley's size and quality in the time period. In general, the colonial revival symbolized the historical roots of modern American cultural values and the positive progress of American civilization. By this token, the Stanley Hotel was an expression of the modest gentility of the builder and his clientele, an advertisement for the modern comforts contained within it, and a beacon for the future of Estes Park as a respectable resort town. All of these connotations were heightened in contrast with the ruggedness of the Rocky Mountains and the rusticity of the other hotels in the area. So it stood out in basically every way imaginable. Makes sense. Um, I have a bunch of pictures of the main building now for you to look through. Also, rusticity is... That's a good word. That's a good word. Yeah. The first one is set in the mountains. But see, it sticks out, though. Mm -hmm. And I love that so much. I'm just, I'm really glad that it's not super rustic. This reminds me so much of like a, I know, and I know you said this, but it reminds me of like a Cape Cod mm-hmm. kind of a building. Yeah, it's very New England. Oh, it's beautiful. And the snow, it's really nice. Wow. And then just the facade. Yeah, it's gorgeous. Pretty good. It is pretty good. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, so I'm going to, I want to talk a little bit about how it's laid out now. Mm, okay. Um, like the different areas of the hotel that are really important. Okay. So the floor plan of the main hotel, which was completed in 1909, was laid out to accommodate the various activities popular with the American upper class at the turn of the 20th century, and the spaces are decorated accordingly. Hmm. The music room, for instance, with its cream-colored walls, originally green and white, uh, picture windows, and fine classical plaster work was designed for letter writing during the day and chamber music at night cultured pursuits perceived mm. as feminine mm-hmm. um, i have a, actually have a picture of Ooh. the music room which is gorgeous oh I can like- you imagine just writing letters in there all day <laughs> oh my god can't hear you at all sorry i'm just i am in love i love this so much the floors are so shiny right i love like just the ornamentation on the walls yes it's beautiful like they didn't have to, but they did. Right? Mm. Um, so on the other hand, the smoking lounge, today known as the pinion room, mm. and adjoining billiard room with their dark stained wood elements and granite arch fireplace were designated for enjoyment by male guests. Okay. Of course, this is way back, 1910. Mm-hmm. I can't say anything about it, you know? It was what it was. Yeah. Even though it was wrong. Well, it's a well-known fact that all men are illiterate. So and billiards players and billiards players. So it's like, what are they going to do with a pen and paper? Right. What they are they going to do with music? No. Give me a break. Exactly. Yeah. It's fine. It's, it's, that makes sense. They can compose it and play it, but they don't appreciate it. No. No. Nope. Okay. So Stanley himself, having been raised in a conservative household and having recovered from a serious lung disease, Mm -hmm. did not smoke cigars or drink alcohol, but these were essential after-dinner activities for most men at the time. Mm -hmm. Billiards, however, was among Stanley's most cherished pastimes. I'm so envious. That's very cute that That he's like, I love billiards. (laughs) (laughs) 
I wonder he why. He makes a whole room for it. Oh my goodness. This might be something that I do for a, a dick, but I wonder why billiards and pool. Like, why is it called? Why is it called either? either. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to make a note. Nice. Okay. Good one. So, with no central heating or ventilation system, the structure was designed to facilitate natural airflow. Um, the Palladian window at the top of the grand stair could be opened to induce a cross breeze through the lobby. French doors in all the public spaces open onto verandas. And two curving staircases connecting the guest corridors prevent stagnant air in the upper floors. Although the main hotel is now heated in the winter, guests still depend on natural ventilation for cooling in the summer. Oh. Yeah. And fans, probably. Uh, fans help. I have a nice little picture of the of the lobby foyer. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. I like the um, the beams across the ceiling a lot. Mm-hmm. It's real pretty. It looks so nice. Looks beautiful. Yeah. And they can't, they can't, um, sorry, they carried on with those fancy windows. Yeah. They're like everywhere. Yeah. It's amazing. Okay. Real quick, we take a break. Can you, do you see how cute Sage is? Yeah. Oh my God. He's wrapped up. Oh, he has his paw over his face. (gasps) Great. All right. Carry on. (laughs) So, within a few years of opening, a hydraulic elevator was put in operation. Wow. In 1916, the east wing of the main building was extended in the rear, adding several guest rooms. Around this time, the alcove of the music room was added. In 1921, a rear veranda was enclosed, forming a room that currently serves as a gift shop. Around 1935, the hydraulic elevator system was replaced with a cable-operated system and extended to the fourth floor, necessitating the addition of a secondary cupola to house the mechanical apparatus. Originally, a porte cochere which you can sometimes see when you're driving around. It basically works as like an awning attached to the side. It's sort of like a car park oh, thing. Oh, yeah. It okay. comes off of the side of the building. Yep. But here um, it works as basically an awning attached to the hotel that can be driven through. Oh. Um, it extended from the central bay of the front porch, but this was removed when the south terrace was converted into a parking lot. Mm. In 1983, a service tunnel was excavated, connecting the basement level corridor to the staff entrance. It is cut directly through the living granite on which the hotel rests. Interesting. <laughs> Now, we'll be moving on to the Concert Hall. The Concert Hall, east of the hotel, was built by Stanley in 1909 with the assistance of Henry Lord Cornwallis Rogers, (laughs) the same architect who designed his summer cottage. According to popular legend, it was built by Stanley as a gift for his wife, Flora. The interior is decorated in the same manner as the music room and in in the main hotel and vaguely resembles that of the Boston Symphony Hall with which the Stanleys would have been familiar of course living in that area Um, the stage features a trap door used for theatrical entrances and exits the lower level once housed a two-lane bowling alley which was removed during the ownership of Maxwell Abel it possibly resembled the bowling alley at the Stanleys Hunnewell Club in Newton pictures of which are archived in the newton free library the hall underwent extensive repair and renovations in the 2000s so it's all fresh and up to date i wish i went up to the bowling alley though that would have been cool right 
Like, why would you get rid of the bowling alley? Exactly. You know, techno bowling <laughs> in the Stanley Hotel. How freaking cool would that what be? What a cool story. Wow. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, next up is The Lodge, mm. once called Stanley Manor. This smaller hotel between the main structure and the concert hall is a two to three scaled down version of the main hotel. Oh. So it's like two thirds the size. Oh, okay. Unlike its model, the manor was fully heated from completion in 1910, which may indicate that Stanley planned to use it as a winter resort when the main building was closed for the season. Mm. However, unlike many other Colorado mountain towns now famous for their winter sports, Estes Park never attracted off-season visitors in Stanley's day, and the manor remained empty for much of the year. Today, it is called The Lodge and serves as a bed and breakfast that is off-limits to the public. So, it's probably only for, like, the owners, maybe their friends, things like that. Oh, that's interesting. Okay. Yeah. We got to make it into the inner circle. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) All right. So, that is kind of the overview of the hotel itself. Okay. Um, all the important history up to somewhat present day. Sure. Um, well, up to present up day, to present which day. we're which we're at right now. Okay. So let's let's rewind a little. Bit, oh my god. Okay. Just uh, bear with me here. Mm. Getting into some more meaty things. Let's let's just rewind a little bit. Uh huh. Back to the seventies. Mm. You know. I like this. We are a long way into the counterculture. We are almost counter counterculture at this point. <laughs> are like, we? <laughs> so, in 1974, mm. during their brief residency in Boulder, Colorado, horror writer Stephen King and his wife Tabitha mm. spent one night at the Stanley Hotel. Did they? The visit is known entirely through interviews given by King in which he presents differing narratives of the experience. At the time of his visit, King was writing a book with the working title Dark Shine, set in an amusement park, but was not satisfied with the setting. According to George Beam's Stephen King companion, quote, on the advisement of locals who suggested a resort hotel located in Estes Park, an hour's drive away to the north, Stephen and Tabitha King found themselves checking in at the Stanley Hotel just as its other guests were checking out because the hotel was shutting down for the winter season. After checking in and after Tabitha went to bed, King roamed the halls and went down to the hotel bar where drinks were served by a bartender named Grady. As he returned to his room, numbered 217, his imagination was fired up by the hotel's remote location, its grand size, and its eerie desolation. And when King went into the bathroom and pulled back the pink curtain for the tub, which had claw feet, he thought, what if somebody died here? (laughs) At that moment, I knew I had a book, end quote. Really quickly. Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. I am covered in chills. Mm -hmm. I'm crying. Mm -hmm. And I am so happy. Great. Just like, what if he would have stayed literally anywhere, literally else? anywhere else? What yeah. if they're like, no, I'll keep on going up to Fort Collins, dude. And he's like, oh, okay. But no, it was meant to be. Mm-hmm. I might throw up. Fair enough. Um, in a 1977 interview by the Literary Guild, King recounted, quote, 
while we were living in Boulder, we heard about this terrific old mountain resort hotel and decided to give it a try. But when we arrived, they were just getting ready to close for the season, and we found ourselves the only guests in the place with all those long, empty corridors. King and his wife were served dinner in an empty dining room accompanied by canned orchestral music. (laughs) Uh, He said, except for our table, all the chairs were up on the tables. So the music is echoing down the hall. And I mean, it was like God had put me there to hear that and see those things. And by the time I went to bed that night, I had the whole book in my mind. In another retelling, King said, I dreamed of my three-year-old son running through the corridors, looking back over his shoulder, eyes wide, screaming. He was being chased by a fire hose. I woke up with a tremendous jerk, sweating all over, within an inch of falling out of bed. I got up, lit a cigarette, sat in a chair looking out the window at the Rockies, and by the time the cigarette was done, I had the bones of The Shining firmly set in my mind. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Isn't that insane? I don't know how to describe what I'm feeling Mm -hmm. because it's like, I mean, truly, you are telling me the creation story of one of my most cherished things Mm -hmm. in my entire life. Mm Mm-hmm. And it is so beautiful. And also, Stephen King. Yeah. I was going to say, can eat a dick. But that's, <laughs> I mean that with my whole entire heart. Like, right. he frustrates me so much. Mm-hmm. How can he be so brilliant and so wonderful? And he just, bam. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm just going to make, like, the most amazingly popular horror book ever. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. Yeah. yeah. Well, The Shining was then eventually published in 1977 and became the third great success of his career after Carrie and Salem's Lot. Oh, okay. Yeah. The primary setting is in an isolated Colorado resort named the Overlook Hotel, Mm -hmm. which closes for the winter. In the front matter of the book, King tactfully states, some of the most beautiful resort hotels in the world are located in Colorado, but the hotel in these pages is based on none of them. Interesting. The overlook and the people associated with it exist wholly in the author's imagination. Son of a gun. So, of course, we now come to the movies. (laughs) So, um, I'm going to go into this portion of it somewhat assuming that people have seen The Mm -hmm. Shining because that was the best I could do with it. Yeah. Yeah. That's fine. If you have not read the book, do that. It's the best version of all three out there of like the book, the movie, and then the TV series, Mm -hmm. mini series, movie Mm -hmm. thing. Um, The book is the best version of it. Beautiful. Um, Stanley Kubrick's The Shining Mm -hmm. is amazing. Mm -hmm. Um, But different. But different. Okay. And then the TV series that Stephen King actually helped make. Mm is more faithful to the book. Okay. Have you seen that? I have not. Interesting. Yeah. We should do that. Yes. So, talking about Stephen Kubrick's 
Stanleys. Stanley Kubricks. I was going to say Stephen King's The Shining by Stanley Kubrick. (laughs) That's what I wanted to say. Okay. Okay. So you may notice that in Kubrick's 1980 film adaptation of The Shining film, the famous bathtub scene takes place in room 237. Mm. That is because the Timberline Lodge in Oregon, where the exterior shots were filmed, did not embrace ghosts quite like the Stanley Hotel. And they asked that the number be changed to a non-existent room. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Okay. While the movie was a huge success and a huge revolution for horror films, it is no secret that Stephen King was not a fan. Mm-hmm. It is easy to understand how Jack Nicholson's portrayal of Jack Torrance is both brilliant and incredibly misconceived. Mm. Um, if you've read the book, you'll understand King wrote Torrance's Descent into Madness as a slower, more surprising plummet. Um, Nicholson, while perfectly capturing the character's final and eventually fatal temperament, Mm -hmm. was arguably a bit extreme to start out. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, And, of course, they really don't talk about any of the alcoholism, which is also a really big theme in the book it's really big okay mm-hmm. i am mutt but a mere peasant who has not read the book oh, so the book is phenomenal i appreciate all of this yeah um kubrick also portrayed wendy as kind of a blubbering weakling yeah um not to mention the emotional torture he put the actress shelly duvall through to produce that kind of temperament oh, gosh. very unfortunate he yelled at her a lot it's not great and Shelley Duvall is an absolutely incredible, Amazing. wonderful performer. Very disappointed to hear that. But, you know, yeah. can't do anything now. Unfortunately. Um, if you're a Stephen King fan, you know that he is well known for writing strong female characters. Hell yeah. And the Wendy in the book is no exception to that. Okay. Yes. Okay. Good so it's to a, know. It's important to read the book. Sure. Um, to give her a little bit more credit. Okay. Um, in 1996, Stephen King, along with Warner Brothers, produced Stephen King's The Shining, a oh. miniseries written by King himself. Hmm. He made sure that filming happened at the Stanley Hotel, where this whole story began. Um, a playhouse version of the Stanley Hotel that adorned the lawn of the Overlook Hotel in the series is now on display in the basement of the Stanley Hotel. Wow. So just a little cute little playhouse version. Oh. Yeah. Um, so that's pretty, pretty much the biggest thing that people know about it. Sure. But let me run through a couple of other people of note who've actually hosted, who have been hosted by the Stanley. Mm. Um, 1934, Eric Fromm, the German psychoanalyst, um, very important if you know anything about him. I researched it a little bit, didn't feel it necessary, Mm. but very important um 1936 governor alf landon from kansas while he was running for president against fdr (laughs) good try dude yeah um so of course 1974 stephen king um after his stay in room 217 1976 bob dylan and joan baez Folk revival icons during the Rolling Thunder Review Tour. Mm. So that's a little important. Mm. 
1994, Emperor Akihito of Japan, Empress Michiko, and Crown Prince Naruhito, who were on a state visit to the United States. Okay, I understand. Japanese emperors. I understand that, like, celebrities are cool, but how much pressure <laughs> would it be to right? have a literal emperor and empress? And their little crown prince. That's oh, my God. That's incredible. That's so wild. I can't even. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Um, of course, then we have to talk about 1994 Dumb and Dumber cast. And crew, including Jim Carrey yeah. and Jeff Daniels. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then in 1996, The Shining cast mm. um, from the TV show. Cool. And crew, including Rebecca De Mornay and Steven Weber. If you don't know Rebecca De Mornay by name, mm. you might know her if you've seen the Netflix series Jessica Jones. She plays um the mother of jessica's best friend no okay i mean you haven't seen it so you wouldn't know no but, but cool she plays the mother of jessica's best friend that's awesome yeah okay does she play wendy huh does she play wendy in the shining yeah oh yes. okay cool yes yeah, okay no, no no you're good so i mean they've hosted quite a few important people yeah. over the years um it's also hosted some late guests, may I say? I was waiting. Some some guests that are not quite considered living anymore. <laughs> so they're dead. Correct. Oh, okay, okay. The Stanley Hotel has been called Disneyland for Ghosts. <laughs> what? It has hosted countless paranormal investigations, including by teams from Travel Channel's Ghost Adventures. Wow. That's ZB, you know, um, and sci-fi's Ghost Hunters. Okay. Guests can get on get in on the action with the Stanley's Ghost Adventure Package, mm. where they are assigned a room on the fourth floor, complete with ghost hunting equipment and a mug with the famous message, Red Rum. Fun. <laughs> I love that they don't shy away from it. No, they're happy. They're happy to, for this. That is so cool. Yeah. Um, ghostly occurrences are reported in almost every room of this vast hotel, from shadowy figures, eerie laughter, flickering lights to items moving on their own. The Stanley Hotel has all your favorite phenomena. If you get too spooked, just find a member of the cleaning staff. Apparently, the ghosts hate vacuum cleaners. <laughs> every time someone vacuums, the machines go haywire and turn off. Or the plugs come flying out of the wall. Really? Yes. Why? I don't know. Are the ghosts cats? Maybe they're afraid that this is like Ghostbusters or something. Maybe. Or like Ooh. Something like that, you know? I like that. They don't want to get sucked up. Or like Luigi's Mansion. There you go. Yeah. There you go, Bubba. So we have to talk about the most notable apparition. Stanley himself. Really? Yep. Interesting. He, he is most often seen in the lobby and the billiards room, which was his favorite huh. room when he was still alive. On one such occasion, he was said to have appeared during a tour group's visit to the billiards room, materializing behind a member of the tour. And although the tables are long gone at this point, guests have heard the sound of balls breaking 
signaling the start of a very dark game of pool. Oh, man, I like that. Yeah. Bartenders at the old hotel also report having seen him stroll through the bar, disappearing when they try to cut him off at the kitchen. Mm, okay. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And then, of course, not to be left out, Flora Stanley also oh. haunts the hotel. Flora! Continuing to entertain guests with her piano playing in the ballroom. Oh, that's beautiful. Employees and guests have reported hearing music coming from the room, and when they te- take a peek in there, they can see the piano keys moving. However, as soon as someone walks across the threshold to investigate further, the music stops and no more movement can be seen upon the keys of the piano. Oh, God. Isn't that awful? That's really awful. Because like <laughs> you're like, okay, well, that's not a player piano, obviously. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then, okay, so I'm going to do a little aside here quick. Mm-hmm. While I was researching, I found a Road Trippers article mm. and tour recap. Um, from a woman named Susan B. Barnes. Okay. She wrote this up, and she just talked about some of her experiences. So I wanted to explain some of them as well. Um, sure, these, thank you. These are very common on tours. They're common experiences with tours. Okay. So I figured I should write them down. Sure, thank you. Um, so I'm just going to kind of quote her experiences going forward okay. until I say I'm done. Yeah, great. Thank you. So... Our first stop on the tour is the Ice House. Before indoor refrigeration, this outbuilding did exactly what the name suggests, housed large blocks of ice. The Ice House is also, according to Cody, the tour guide, where Billy spends his afterlife. Billy was once a kind, shy boy with dark brown hair. In photos, he appears only as a misty figure. He allegedly shares the Ice House with the spirit of another gentleman who sports a large bushy beard and white hair. We follow a path to the hotel's pet cemetery. Interesting. Which existed well before King's intentionally misspelled version. Okay. Here, Cody shows us the grave of Cassie, a golden retriever. Guests have reported hearing Cassie pawing at their doors, eager to deliver the morning newspaper. And then Comanche, a fluffy white cat (sighs) whose spirit is said to wander the property, is also interred there. Interesting. And I actually have a picture of the pet cemetery. Aww. It's very cute. You can see Stanley Blue the second, Aww. Stanley Blue the third. <laughs> yeah. It's Aww, very cute. That's really sweet. Yeah. So in front of the hotel, Cody shares stories from the fourth floor. In the Stanley Hotel's heyday, children would run, play, laugh, and bounce balls in the hallway. Once or twice a year, a guest will report waking to find that their room door is wide open and a child is standing in the doorway staring at them. Nope. When chased, the child disappears. Is that worse or better? Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Who's chasing after the ghostly Yeah, escort? definitely not. I'd just be like, not, not today. Nope. Nope. Just, uh put a chair in front of my door and uh-huh. leave the lights on all night. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yep. No, thank you. Um, so now we move on to some of the other spirits uh, with Susan. Elizabeth Wilson was the Stanley Hotel's head chambermaid. Okay. On July 25th, she was nearly killed in an explosion. It took three hours to free her from the rubble. Three hours. The gas explosion. Yep. Okay. She continued to work at the hotel until 1951 when she died in her sleep. But some say her spirit never left. According to Cody, 
Wilson particularly likes married couples. Interesting. Unmarried couples who dare to share a room may find that they have Wilson as a chaperone (laughs) for the evening. (laughs) During Wilson's tenure, single men not permitted in the main hotel were relegated to the lodge next door. Today, if she finds a single man staying in the main hotel, Wilson might pack up his bags and leave them outside his door. (laughs) (laughs) What a sassy lady. That's so funny. I love it. Um, Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So that was just some of the highlights from her tour that she went on. Okay. Um, Some of the other ghosts that are talked about. Um, Now I'm just going to kind of take my own path to go through the rest of them. Okay. Okay. So. There are several rooms in the hotel that seem to be particularly haunted. Hmm. One is room 407, which is said to sometimes be occupied by Lord Dunraven, who owned the land prior to Stanley. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Reportedly, he likes to stand in the corner of the room near the bathroom door. On one such account, witnesses reported that a light in that corner kept turning on and off. While the light was off, they told the ghost that they knew he was there. They would only be staying two nights. And if he could please turn the light back on, that would be great. <laughs> the light turned back on. However, later when the lights were turned off and they were trying to sleep, noises were constantly heard from the nearby elevator during a time when the elevator was not in use. Mm. At other times, a ghostly face has been reported to be looking out the window of room 407 when the room is not booked. That's really unfortunate. Yeah, that's pretty pretty bad. Did they talk about why the fourth floor? No. Okay, because they said that the fourth floor is like... It's the newest. The, yeah, but that's the one that has the most but activity. The mo- yeah. Yeah. Weird. Mm-hmm. Huh. Okay. Yeah, I don't know. Hmm. Yeah, it doesn't stop because I'm going to room 418 now. It gets the most reports of haunting activity, apparently from children's spirits. Cleaning... Some might say those are the worst. Yeah, <laughs> some might. <laughs> Cleaning crews report having heard many strange noises from the room, as well as seeing impressions on the bed Mm-mm. when the room has been empty. Mm-mm. When a guests, when guests stay in the room, they often report that they hear children playing in the hallway at night. One couple reportedly checked out of the hotel very early in the morning complaining that the children in the hallway kept them up all night. And of course, there were no children booked in the hotel at that time. Goodbye. Hmm. Goodbye. There have also been many reports of guests by guests of haunting activities in rooms 217 Mm -hmm. and 401. Tour guides tell the story of the ghost of a small child who has been seen by many of the staff in various areas of the old hotel. Reportedly, Stephen King also saw the child who was calling out to his nanny on the second floor. Other past employees report footsteps and apparitions seen throughout the building. It comes as no surprise that the hotel's most requested room, 217, is the one where King stayed on that fateful visit more than 40 years ago. Wow. A space that allegedly drove Jim Carrey to flee in the middle of the night, never to return. When the actor was on location, people have also been said to experience things while sleeping. That is, until a blood-curdling shriek rips them back awake, prickling with adrenaline, 
and then the scream comes again, echoing through the sleeping valley outside the windows. Oh, my God, no. It sounds like a child in terror for their life. Can we be sure that it's just the elk? And that is my story on the Stanley Hotel. Brilliant. Thank you. Absolutely brilliant. Thank you. So I do want to say I was surprised, um, I guess is the best word that I can put, um, by how few, like, bad encounters I could find. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like it really doesn't have a negative history in any way. Mm. Um, I mean, when they were talking to some of the people, they were like, no more people have died here than normal. Like it just random stuff, like people die in their sleep or heart attack, whatever. Like, yeah, I feel like that's, that's going to happen with any type of hotel. Yeah. Motel situation. It just happens. But nothing specifically about like the land or the building. Mm was really negative in any way I could find. So I kind of wanted to look into why that might be. Yeah. And some of the people were saying like, while there might not be any like vengeful spirits or ghosts Mm -hmm. inhabiting the Stanley hotel, it could be that, you know, they didn't have negative experiences in their life here. They had incredibly positive experiences in their lives here. Oh. So they're coming back to one of the happiest places they can think of. Oh. And that's why they're there. You know, someone who spent their whole life working there and devoted themselves to it or whatever it may be. Or like children, ghosts. Like why would no children have died there? So like why would there be children? Well, people have said it could be because it's. The place that they remember most fondly. Yeah. So. Oh, that's really beautiful. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, I guess I can kind of echo that too. Um, you know, we talked about this, but I think for me, um, being such a huge fan of the movie, my perception of facts and what I know from watching this movie so many times throughout my life they blur Mm -hmm. and so i think i told myself so many times that bad things actually happen at the stanley hotel Mm -hmm. because that's just that's what i thought yeah um like i thought there was a murder there i thought that it was incredibly haunted yeah um but it's really interesting to hear that really it's just been a good place and it has it has a really wonderful history. Mm-hmm. It has a solid reason for being built and it just seems like it's been a place where a lot of really good memories and uh, experiences have happened over the last, you know, 110 years or so. Right. So, yeah, it's really wonderful. And I think even like steven's inspiration for it is like it makes sense why at the time that they went there 
he got that impression of it being oh it's this desolate like lonely isolation you know all that stuff it makes sense because it's a humongous hotel Mm -hmm. that's completely empty you go anywhere and that happens and it's eerie yeah exactly you know i think it just worked out perfectly that way yeah um but he may have not had like any super intense actual experiences Mm -hmm. it It, just ended up coming out like that exactly i feel like because it was so empty it allowed him to have that imagination flow um but yeah i just think it's really interesting and um i did want to ask you justin because of course i know the answer but um was there a specific reason that you wanted to cover stanley hotel basically because we are going to be visiting it wow (laughs) um when we go sure and the shining is one of my favorite movies Mm -hmm. and i knew that the and books and i knew it was inspired by this hotel sure it's interested that's really wonderful yeah you did a good job thanks also stephen king can um can be our friend anytime he wants truly yes please be Please be your friend. (laughs) Well, Justin, this honestly was one of my most anticipated stories um, from you. And oh boy, did you deliver. That's good. I was worried. It was fantastic. It was fun. It was fun. Yeah. Thank you. So good job. And I'm excited to, I'm excited to show it to you in just a few days. Yeah. It's going to be pretty good. I hope you like it. Thanks. Wow. Do you have any recommendations? Because I do. You do? My recommendation is, of course, please read The Shining by Stephen King. Okay. I feel like cheap, but very appropriate. Very appropriate and important. Yes. If you want to learn what the hype is. Yeah. Read the book. For sure. For sure. Or listen to an audio book or whatever you need to do. Yeah. The movie's great too, but the book is important. Okay. I like that. Yeah. I like that a lot. That's good. Nice. Um, my recommendation is actually something that I did not think I was gonna like, but Justin forced me to do it. And <sighs> surprise, surprise, I like it a lot. Yeah. Um, and it is actually the I don't want to call it the Godzilla series because it's not just Godzilla, mm-hmm. but Long story short, over the last week, Justin and I have crammed in Godzilla, Kong, Skull Island, Mm -hmm. Godzilla, King of Monsters, Mm -hmm. and then coming to the final, uh, you know, I don't know. I don't know if it's the the end. I don't think so. Okay. But it's coming to the fourth installment of, is it Kong versus Godzilla? Godzilla versus Kong? Godzilla versus Kong. I think it's the Monsterverse is what they're calling it. Oh, I like that. Okay. So the Monsterverse. Here's the thing. It is so good. Mm-hmm. You root for Godzilla every time. Yeah. Um, I'm a little nervous to watch Godzilla versus my sweet baby you Kong. Seen it yet, yeah. But you know, I am I am excited and it is just it's really cool. I think the acting is great. I think the graphics are something special. Yeah. The and effects are fun, amazing. Honestly. Yeah. They're just fun movies. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's our recommendation. Nice. Wow. That's a good one. Yeah. Wow. Um, so that's that's it. Great. Okay. Thanks so much. Well, we hope that you stay safe. 
and stay spooky while we're gone in Colorado. Exactly. And read The Shining. Please. Please. And watch the MonsterVerse. Yeah, that too. Great. Mm. Okay, bye! <laughs> bye! Mm.